0: At the heart of this and so many other passages of Scripture are a people like us who are looking and longing desperately for God's peace. And it's this sense of longing that led me this week to this poem by Wendell Berry that I hope you'll read along silently with me as I read it aloud. The Peace of Wild Things. It's on the front of your worship guide. The Peace of Wild Things. Don't you just love that? Barry writes, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Do you feel that in your soul? There's something about slowing down and aligning ourselves with the rhythms of creation, attuning our soul with the grace of the earth and the peace of wild things that make space for a greater sense of God's peace in our lives and a greater sense of God's peace in this world. And that is what so many of us are looking and longing for right now, deep down and not so deep down. The peace that Jesus said he came to give us, we're longing for that peace he said he came to give us and leave with us and unleash in us and through us. Our souls are longing for that, for more than just a moment of peace that we might get when we allow our souls to settle in and take in the magnitude of the solar system. But even more than that, and we love those moments, we're longing for a peace that permeates, a peace that is more, a peace that's more, so much more. And you know, the Bible talks about from beginning to end, a peace that is more. The Bible talks from beginning to end about a peace that is more than the presence of calm or the lack of chaos or calamity or conflict, but a peace that is more, that is more than than that moment of peace, that is more, that is all encompassing, that is more, that is God's shalom peace. That's the biblical idea. And shalom, you know, is the idea of ultimate peace universal harmony. It's what the world would be like if peace and justice and compassion and grace and mercy permeated all of creation. It's what the world would be like if God's dream for us were to come true. In other words, it's the way things were intended to be. And we're supposed to be people of shalom. Shalom is the way things ought to be, and we're supposed to be people of Of shalom, people who, as Jesus commanded right here in Luke chapter 10, go out in peace, in God's peace, both to bring peace and to find peace among others, so that they and we might share in that peace together in person. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they will be called children of God. Children of God are supposed to be people of peace, God's peace. People of, children of God are people who are supposed to seek peace and make peace and share God's peace, God's shalom peace with others in this world. And this is evidently a huge part of what it means to unleash God's peace from God onto this world. It's not a one-sided affair. It's not just something that comes from God to us or something that comes from us to others, but it is something that is meant to be reciprocal. It's something that's supposed to be shared. So we've been called to be persons of peace, but also to find persons of peace, to go out in this world and share that peace with one another, and and, and, and then that's how it sort of grows. We've been called to be a people who make space for peace, God's peace, to grow are called to be persons of peace, and that can take on so many different forms. We see many forms, and you may have seen it in your own life, but also in Scripture. In the New Testament, actually, persons of peace, and we see them in the Old Testament too, but in particular in the New Testament, persons of peace are people who make space for the Gospel, and people who make space for the Gospel to grow, not just in their lives, but in the lives of those around them, in their communities and in their villages and among their, their people. This is what we see in the New Testament. And many of these persons of peace don't even start out being followers of Jesus. When Jesus found the Apostle Matthew, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. When Jesus found the Apostle Matthew, he wasn't liked by many people. Maybe you've seen uh, some of that newer TV show, The Chosen, about the disciples of Jesus. And there are some beautiful pictures in that show, especially of Matthew. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector who was hated by his people. Hated by his people because of his participation with the Roman people in taxing his people, so they didn't like him. But Matthew did have a lot of influence, and Matthew did have a lot of associates. And so when Jesus called him, when Jesus struck up a relationship with him, he was hungry for it and he was open to it, perhaps because of the pain and the isolation that he had already experienced in his life at the hands of so many he was in relationship with. He was open to it. And his openness to it caused him to be open to others because what we see is when Jesus called Matthew, Matthew didn't just open his heart to Jesus, but he opened his home to Jesus and others. And what we see in the Bible is a huge part of being a person of peace is being a person who practices hospitality. Makes those spaces for God's peace to come in relationship with others through hospitality. And so Matthew invited people of, of influence and people of ill repute, and all these people came to Matthew's house, and he became a person that was a bridge for the gospel to grow. He was a person of peace. The Samaritan woman at the well, who we've talked about recently, was a person of peace. The Gerasene demoniac, possessed by demons, was a person of peace. Both of these people, when they experienced the love and the welcome of Jesus... They immediately took that life change out to their community and began to make spaces for the gospel to grow among their friends and relatives and acquaintances. The Samaritan woman at the well and the Gerasene demoniac were persons of peace. One of my favorite persons of peace in the Bible is in Acts, sort of Luke part two, and it's the man from Macedonia. How many of you know about the story of the man from Macedonia? The man from Macedonia was someone that, that God told Paul about in a dream. He said, you're going to go into Macedonia and there's going to be this, this, this person that Paul, I don't know if God said it or Paul assumed it, was a man from Macedonia and going to meet you there and under the power of the Spirit welcome you and it's going to become a, a bridge that creates space and makes space for the gospel and the hospitality and the peace and the love of Jesus to grow in this world and in these communities. So Paul follows the Holy Spirit into that place, and he goes into that place to meet the man from Macedonia. And guess what? The man from Macedonia ends up being a woman, Lydia. Sometimes persons of peace are not who we expect them to be. And they don't come to us in ways we expect them to come to us. Sometimes persons of peace, people who make space for the gospel and for God's spirit to roam in their lives and through their lives in the world, defy our expectations. Sometimes we experience God's peace in places and spaces that we don't expect. Places and spaces that help the gospel and God's spirit grow in us and through us. Maybe you can think of a number of different circumstances where you've experienced persons of peace In your own life. One of the ways I thought about this week, because I was thinking about the shalom peace of God and, and how it's not just about calm or the absence of chaos, but it's about places where grace and truth sit down in our lives and create shalom. And when I was thinking about persons of peace in the context of grace and truth, I couldn't help but think about the first supervisor that I had when I went to work in the university ministry office at Baylor University. I was hired to be one of their first seminary interns and, and I would go and work with, with the people on staff there, and the dean of university ministry, and we would, we would create Bible studies and, and worship opportunities for undergraduates and, and, and graduate students. And we would work with the chapel and there were all kinds of things that we would do. We would do events on the campus at Baylor and um, these events, we might be working with kind of the Baylor bigwigs and many of them were, you know, included but not limited to vice presidents, and so I remember early on, I was, I was, I was working with a group of leaders at Baylor to pull off an event. And one of the people I was supposed to be corresponding and collaborating with was one of the Baylor vice presidents. And in that correspondence and that collaboration and that work that we had together, I, you know, did something I wasn't supposed to do. A little misstep, little mistake that was probably a big mistake. And, and the pres, vice president didn't like it. And, Not only let me know that, but let my supervisor know that. My supervisor reached out to me and let me know that he knew that. Let me know that I needed to know that we were going to have a meeting about that. Set up a time for that meeting. And as you might imagine, coming into that meeting, I felt a lot of anxiety. I felt a lot of worry. I mean, I I thought, maybe I'm going to lose my job here or at least get a severe tongue thrashing from my supervisor. This is not going to be fun. It wasn't fun, but... So we had that meeting, and in that meeting, he let me know that he knew what I'd done. He let me know what he thought I shouldn't have done and what I could have done different, what I could have not done different. He explained all that to me, gave me a little bit of coaching. And then once he understood that I understood, he signaled that the conversation was over and it was time to move on. But wait, I thought, this was supposed to be a lot worse. Hit me with it. But he said, Jason, you you don't seem to understand. That's what internships like this are for. We've made space so that you can serve and and minister and even experiment and and mess up in this place so that perhaps you will grow and not make some of those same mistakes on some unsuspecting congregation in the future. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Other ones, though, but okay, I said what a gift it is to have spaces like that. What a gift it is to have spaces where people are prepared for them to disappoint you, and they're not going to let that disappointment define you. What a gift it is to have spaces where people are going to confront you and challenge you, but that's, that's not going to be something that ends you. What a gift it is to have spaces and places of of grace and truth in your life where you can make mistakes, and those mistakes are things you can mature from because of them. Spaces of grace and truth. Spaces of grace and truth, shalom spaces of grace and truth, are nurtured by persons of peace. And God has called us to be persons of peace just as God has come to us as a person of peace. You may remember in John chapter 1, where God is described as being full of not just peace, but grace and truth. The law was given by Moses, John said, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we're so glad it did. We're so glad he brought that because grace or truth without grace can often simply be judgment, right? Critical, it can tear us down. And and grace without truth can be a license to do whatever we want, no matter how it hurt or damages us or other people. But there's something so powerful about that marriage between grace and truth and how it can bring healing and God's holiness in our lives. And this is just one of the ways that God's peace can break through. And of course, when it does, especially when it does like that, it doesn't always feel peaceful. Right? Because we know what sometimes happens when God's peace comes into our life is that God's peace disturbs our peace in order to make space for real peace. That happens too. And Jesus names this as he sends out the 70 in Luke chapter 10. The work of seeking and sharing peace is needed in good work, Jesus says. It's needed and good work, but it's not easy work. In fact, that may be why Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest of peace that is ready to be reaped out there is plentiful. There's a a lot of peace ready to be sown and reaped in this world through you and because of you and with you. And yet there aren't enough people to do it. And it seems like some people just aren't willing to do it because it's good work, but it's not easy work. In fact, Jesus says that when you go out trying to sow seeds of peace and do the work of peace, you should be prepared for rejection. That's part of it. That's how it works. Everyone, he says, will not recognize the gift of peace that you bring. In fact, some, when you bring that gift, are going to be threatened by it. Some people will find that God's peace disturbs their peace. Some will find that they are so disturbed by the peace of God that surpasses their understanding that they will get defensive and they will get angry and they will kick you right out of their house. Some of them will even do this in the name of God. That's how it works. That's how it works. You ever seen it work like that? Have you ever rejected someone or something because it made you uncomfortable? And you just knew, you just knew that that discomfort was a sign that it was bad. It was bad for you. It was bad for the world. It must be bad because it made you uncomfortable. And yet over time what you found, if you look back on that thing, is that God was doing a work in you through that person or thing that made you so uncomfortable, that God was actually using it to do a new work in you that you just weren't quite ready for yet. So at the time, you rejected it. You weren't ready for it, perhaps, (laughs) though the discomfort of that moment was preparing you to be ready for it. To be comfortable with it. With God's encroaching Peace. You ever notice something like that happening in your life? Or in the life of someone that you loved? I think this is what Jesus is warning them about here. He's sending them out as persons of peace, knowing that some of the people they approach will not be ready for it. Some will receive it, others will reject it. Some will repel it, others will reciprocate it. You'll give your peace, he says, and and some of the people will reject you, but others will also give you peace in return. So when that happens, be, be prepared. Don't move on too quickly, Jesus says. It's not about efficiency, Jesus says. When the peace is reciprocated, I want you to stay there in that house, embrace the welcome, share the gift, be the gift, bless these strangers and be blessed by them. That's how it works. That's how it's going to work. The gift of God's peace and even the gift of God's presence is often in Scripture and in life given and received through generous, grace-filled hospitality to and with Pay attention to this, strangers. Remember you were once strangers in a strange land yourselves, God says. In Scripture, what we find is that God's peace is often found in relationship with strangers. Walter Brueggemann has said that implicit in shalom is the idea of souls in community that you cannot have shalom in isolation, and that often that shalom doesn't just come with others, but with others who are other than us. Not just with friends or family members that we're comfortable with, but with neighbors and enemies and strangers. In fact, in Scripture we often find that people of God are not just strangers in a strange land looking and hoping for welcome, but that God is two. And so one of the reasons we need to be careful is because what we find in Scripture is that often the unknown one, often the unlike us one, often the uncomfortable one that we encounter is actually the holy one. In fact, Jesus goes on to say this in Matthew chapter 25, that whatever we have done or not done unto the least of these, we have done or not done unto him. Or in other words, sometimes he is the stranger. Which is why we have to be incredibly careful, friends, about how we handle immigrants and refugees and people who are unlike us and unknown to us. And uncomfortable for us because sometimes the unlike us one and the unknown to us one and the uncomfortable one is also the ultimate judge who will stand before at the end of time. The Holy One of God or perhaps at least one of God's messengers and we knew it not. That's what we see happening in Luke chapter 10. We know some of these people that Jesus is sending out, but also guess what? The people who he's sending them to, they don't know them. They're strangers. They are strange ambassadors of God's peace. And some of these people, these strangers happened upon, rejected them and the gospel of peace that they brought. They weren't ready for it. They were troubled by it. And others Welcomed it. Some rejected God's peace and some embraced it. I think the question this morning on this Sunday of peace is Will you? What will you do to bring God's peace into this world? What will you do to make space for God's grace and truth peace in this world? What will you do to allow God's peace to grow in you more fully so that it can grow in the world more fully? You know, changing the world in huge ways for Jesus is almost, sometimes it seems, unreachable. But what we really find is that almost all the time what we're being called to do is not change the world in some way unavoidably recognizable way. But what we're being called to do is change how we are in the world. Maybe difficult for you to understand how God's calling you to change the world, but maybe what you need to pay attention to this week is how God is calling you to change who you are and how you are in the world. What will you say yes to and no to during this season So that the life of God and the peace of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ might find more space to grow in you and to grow in this world. We continue to consider this together as we stand together and sing this hymn of God's grace and truth and expectation and peace.